Today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. As you're finding your place there, experiences impact the way you and I live. Experiences always impact the way you and I live. Uh, we could share tragedy after tragedy that illustrates that point of, of things that have happened to us that, uh, that impact the way we think and do things. But there are also areas in our life that are blessings that impact the way we think and do things. Uh, for me, one of those was when uh, my children were born. Every time one of my children was born, it was always one of those uh, magical experiences. By magical, I mean completely terrifying. <laughs> it was just one of those moments that, that, that just the overwhelmingness of the power of God to, to create and, and, and cause this being to come into existence, it was just, it's overwhelming. And, and I can remember after it was uh, sometime you can ask, but it was quite horrific when the horse doctors helped deliver Abraham. But uh, um, when, when that was all over and, and we, were, we were trying to recoup in the recovery room, I can just remember thinking to myself, I, my God is so much bigger than I've ever thought. And it's forever changed the way I think about God and when I think about His, His majesty. The, the things we experience impact the way we think and do things. And you guys could all probably give me a thousand examples of how experiences you have had have caused you to, to live and think a certain way. Well, today, as we look at 1 Peter, we're going to continue our season and thinking through uh, God's grace, and, and we're going to explicitly look at His grace to us in the past and how that transforms you and I. We cannot say we have experienced God's grace and continue to live unchanged lives. I've given this illustration before, but this would be, this would be like me coming in late to service and, and coming up here and, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry I'm late. And everybody's kind of wondering what's going on. And I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry. On my way here, I was hit by a semi. Um, I, I was walking across the street, and I got hit by a semi, and it took me a minute to get myself together, but I'm good now, so here we go. You all would be looking at me like I was crazy, right? Because an experience of being hit by a semi does something more than just dishevels you. It does something more. It leaves a lasting impact. The grace of God is bigger than the biggest semi you can imagine, and when it in, impacts our lives, it should not leave us the same. And Peter is going to call us to examine that this morning. So it's my, my prayer that as we dig deeper into God's grace, that you would leave here differently than you came, that you would be transformed in your thinking and doing. The main idea, of, if I had to give this, this, uh, this thing, uh, this, this message, a main idea, it would be the grace of God transforms our minds and conforms our lives. The grace of God transforms our minds and conforms our lives. And we're going to see how that happens in our text today. So hopefully you found, uh, found 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 16 in your Bible this morning. If you haven't, it'll be on the screen behind me. But listen as I read God's authoritative word to us today. 
Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is God's word for us today. And as we begin examining this passage, beginning in verse 10, it calls us to think about the context. Now, this is a good Bible study tip, so as you're studying your Bible this week, I want you to always think about this. Anytime you study a particular passage, you need to look at its context. You need to think about what are the verses around it saying. And here, he's calling us to pay attention explicitly to that. He's saying, now, concerning this salvation, well, what salvation is he talking about? He's talking about the one that was just referenced in verse 9 that we looked at last week, the salvation that is the outcome of our faith. This salvation that will be revealed in the last times. This salvation that is found in the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's this salvation that he draws our attention to as we begin. And as we begin thinking about that salvation, so trying, if you can, to remember the things that we said about that salvation last week, that, that it was uh, this future grace that we would get, but it was also guaranteed because God was keeping us for it, and he was keeping it for us. And so as you, as you think through those things, keeping that in mind, now see what these passages have to say to us. And in this passage, he's going to call us to a deeper grace. Now, when we think about grace, we have lots of things that come to mind. And I've said this time and time again. And if I were to play the word association game and, and ask you to think, you know, say the first thing that came to your mind with grace, all of you would probably have a different answer. For all of you that, you know, grace has certain things that come to mind. But, but the primary understanding is this unmerited grace. And today, he's going to call us to understand a deeper grace. The privilege of grace goes much deeper than we have considered. Most of us, when we think about God's grace, think about that time when maybe we walked a aisle or said a prayer or, or we, we talked with someone about what God has done for us. And we think that was God's grace to us. When we first experienced God's grace in our life, that's when it was. But Peter calls us to go back further, to go deeper, deeper than our own personal experience. God's grace for you and I extends past the point of our life. It extends past that glorious point of, of birth. Consider these passages, these, these verses again. He says, The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached 
the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The salvation that you and I experience happened well beyond our lives. And for most of you, you're like, yes, it happened at the cross. That's when it happened. The salvation you and I experience began way before the cross. The salvation that that God has given us has been worked out from the beginning of time in Genesis 3.15 when he said, and the Son of Man will crush the head of the serpent. We, that's, the, that's the first declaration of the gospel. We have this promise from God that this sin that has been brought about will be crushed by the Son of Man. Now, who is the Son of Man? Christ. We see that come to fruition when Jesus comes and dwells among God's people and dies on their behalf. But God began working out our salvation long before then. Salvation is bigger than our lives. It's bigger than what you and I experience. We're experiencing something others longed to see. They longed to see the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Not because they wanted to see Christ suffer, but they knew what that meant for you and me. They knew that what that meant for us as we would experience that in our lives. And that's why it says the prophets who prophesied. The prophets, going, going all the way back, going back to these, these men of old who God would reveal his mystery to. They prophesied these things because God knew they were going to come to fruition. Our salvation is bigger than us because long before we could have even thought about these things, long before our grandparents and our great-grandparents and so on and so forth, uh, long before any of those things God had begun and our begun to work out his plan of salvation, which would drastically impact our lives. It would, he was working something in history that would be for us. Notice what it says in that passage. These prophets who prophesied, they, it was revealed to them. In other words, God instructed them. He revealed it to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. They were serving not themselves, but you. These prophets of old would never see that God's plan come to fruition. But they longed for the day when it would. It was revealed to them that they would be working for something that would be experienced by others. People other than themselves. Think back for a moment. If you are a believer in Christ today, think back for a moment to that day when, when God grabbed a hold of your heart and turned it upside down. And said, you're no longer going to be serving yourself, but you're going to be serving me. And, and you committed your life to him. Think back to that day and how glorious that was. That wasn't the first glorious thing. God was working that glorious thing out long before then. He was working that out in these prophets as they were prophesying about the coming Messiah and in the evangelist. The depth of grace has been declared to us, but we have to see it. Now, I'm preaching out of the New Testament this morning, correct? 
Yes, everybody nod their head. Yes, this is the New Testament. Is everybody awake with me? I know it's warm in here, so um, you're all dozing on me. All right, so I'm preaching out of the New Testament this morning. But you know what? God gave us the Old Testament too. Why did God give us the Old Testament? That we might see how Christ fulfilled all of these things leading up to this. In this moment, we have this magnification of, God, of our, the salvation that you and I have experienced. We see, it, see him zooming out and, and this, seeing this full-orbed picture of what he's done for us. And what he's done for us is so big. It's so big that you and I cannot even begin to understand it. But if we did, a timeline would be helpful. Seeing how God worked this out not a thousand years ago, not two thousand years ago, not three thousand years ago, but from the beginning of time, God has been working this thing out. We, we read forward, if you read forward in, this, in chapter 1, it says, uh, Christ, that he, was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for your sake. Christ existed long before the foundations of the world. We can read in Acts that, that God was planning for these sufferings to occur. God's foreknowledge, the same foreknowledge that we looked at before, also included the foreknowledge that Christ was going to come and die for our sins. He's been working these things out throughout time. Over thousands and thousands and thousands of years, he's been working these things out, and we get to experience it. The depth of God's grace has been declared to us, not only by the prophets, but by the evangelists. These evangelists here, it says, they got to, they got to see him. It says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but to you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's my understanding here that he's probably referring to the, the apostles and evangelists of this day and how they would go and they would declare these things that had been declared long before. One of the most fascinating experiences of this is, is in the book of Acts. We have Stephen, uh, a beloved deacon. Now, this isn't just a deacon that can serve people. This is a deacon that knows his Bible so well that he takes them back and gives them an overview of the whole Bible. And in that moment, you see how Christ is unfolded, how it's been working from over time, how God has been working these things out. These evangelists could describe these things. And it's been declared to you and I. I hope that none of you can leave here today and say, I don't know what the gospel is. It's my, it's my prayer that hopefully over, over these first three weeks and over the course of your life as a believer that you have, you have heard the gospel, that Christ came, died for our sins, rose again on the third day, declaring victory over sin and death. And now He invites us to submit our lives to Him as Lord and follow after Him that His kingdom might spread and that we might be a part of it. I pray that you know these things, and as you hear these things being announced to you, the depth of grace is declared. But notice that it's not just declared by humans. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity, is working in these things. It says here in... Uh, 
It says, the, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. And then if you go down further, the, those who preached, or the, the apostles and evangelists, those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. We have in these two instances a reminder that every time the word of God is declared, every time the, the grace of God is declared to us, the Holy Spirit is working in those moments. The Holy Spirit is, is, is working in our heart to empower us to understand the depth of grace. Now, this side of eternity, I don't think we will ever fully plunge the depths of God's grace but the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is working in us to teach us those things. To, to bring those things to mind. The Spirit of Christ is, is empowering us to understand these. So God has been working and declaring throughout time that these things are going to be happening. But the Holy Spirit, God himself, is working in these things as well. He's not just declaring words to you, but he's using those words to penetrate the heart of individuals. He's using those words to convict us of sin and, and transform our lives and our thinking. He is working in the depth of grace. Not only is it declared and empowered, but the depth of grace is inquired. Notice something. It says these prophets, they declared these things, but they didn't just declare them. You know, all of us could be told to do something, right? We can be told to go, hey, can you go tell somebody this? But every once in a while, we're told something, and it's interesting, right? It's not just a, a, a command. It's interesting. We want to understand it. These prophets, they're told something, and they're, they want to understand these things. When is the Christ going to come? When is the, the Messiah going to come? They, they don't want to just know that he is going to come. When is he going to come? What's it going to look like? It says they searched and inquired carefully. It has this idea of, of both being going deep and being very intentional, being very um, intricate in their search. They wanted to understand every part of this, this great grace. These prophets who, who knew that they, weren't going to benefit, that they weren't going to see this salvation come. They weren't going to experience this salvation in the same way that you and I experience it. But they spent time diving into God's Word and searching and praying and, and studying the Word of God that they might know what it was that they might get a glimpse of this. Not only the prophets, but the angels in heaven who are the messengers of God. What does it say here? It says, things into which angels long to look. This, this phrase, it's hard to translate in the English language, but it has this idea of bending over, stooping over to examine something more deeply. You know, for those of you who maybe can't read as well, it's kind of, you know, this, this idea, i got to get a little bit closer to the text. To, to see what God, to see what's going on. These angels are, they're leaning in because they want to understand how God is unfolding these things in our lives. 
the salvation that you and I have experienced, the salvation you experience, this earth longs to see completed in Romans 8. The prophets spent their lives searching to understand it. The angels long to see it. We must not take it for granted. In a very real way, we, we have a special favor to be able to experience these things. We have a, a special blessing. You know, oftentimes we don't realize how, some, how valuable something is until somebody else wants it. This is demonstrated well with toddlers, right? They, they, may, have a, they may have a toy that they've not played with for years. Okay, they're only two, so I guess that wouldn't be work out. So, for a couple weeks. They, they, they've not played with it. And somebody comes over to their house all of a sudden. And, and, and they, they want to play with that toy. What does that toddler do? It goes crazy. Mine! Mine! Right? They, they, they want that thing. They've not been interested in it at all. We adults are, are the same way. Hopefully we share a little bit better than that. But we're the same way. We, we, we recognize the value of something when we see how valuable it is to other people. Let us this morning look at this and see how valuable the grace of God is that's been given to us because others have longed to see it, and we have it. Not in a selfish way, but in a righteous way. I pray that your heart says, mine, this morning. That grace that has been declared is, is mine. God has given it to me. And you know what? There's enough grace to go around. Let, let me share this grace with others. This is what is happening here. It's a deeper grace. Grace is deeper than we give it credit for. And until we continue to plunge its depths and see its magnitude, it will not grab our hearts and transform our lives. The magnitude of the inquiry by these prophets and angels who didn't even benefit from it. It wasn't even for them. The, the, the detail and the, the time that they spent, the zeal that they spent studying these things should be a rebuke to us who haven't opened our Bibles in weeks. When we set it on the shelf to collect dust, and yet they longed to see the day when these things would be fulfilled. They wanted to see this come about. And they searched and inquired carefully. It should be a rebuke to us that they so meticulously searched the Scriptures for Christ. Shouldn't we be even more zealous to enjoy the benefits that are already given to us? Shouldn't we be even more... Uh, working even harder at understanding these things. If I ask someone about you, if I ask someone, what, what are they like? What are the members of First Baptist Church of Kabul like? Would they say, man, they really want to know what God's Word says? Is that, would that be a characteristic of us, that, that we want to know what God's Word says? That we want to see and understand and apply these things to our lives. 
This passage is calling us to understand the depths of this word, of this grace that he's given to us. God's grace goes deeper than us. It goes deeper than that time you walked an aisle or that time you prayed a prayer. It goes back to the beginning of time when God began working out this great salvation that we have. Let us therefore embrace this privilege. But he doesn't leave it there. Not only do we have this amazing grace, but he shows us how this grace should change us. He shows us how it should leave us differently. How should it change us? Well, it should cause us to learn hope. We should be learning hope. We continue to experience the depth of grace when we set our hopes on it. We continue to experience the depths of grace when we set our hopes on it. Notice what he says in verse 13. Therefore, anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, you should ask what it is there for. Therefore what? Well, because you have experienced this great salvation, because you have experienced this, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Literally, um, gird up the loins of your minds. That's not a phrase we use every day, is it? Um, uh, This, prepare your minds for actions and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in this passage, the main, the main verb here is set your hope. This idea of set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever had said this? I, I had my heart set on this. I had my heart set on doing this thing or seeing this thing come about. That's the, the idea here. It says set your heart, set your hopes on what? What are we setting our hopes on? On the revelation of Jesus Christ. The grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This grace that he just talked about. Set our hope on that. Set our hearts there. This is more than an emotion. For most of us, hope is this this emotion. But hope for the follower of Christ is more than an emotion. It's an expectation that what God has said, he will do. Set your hope, set your expectation on the fact that what God says, he will accomplish. Because that's the kind of God we have. One who is unchanging and faithful to us. Set your hope on that. How do you set your hope? Set your hope fully on this grace. That means not half-hearted, right? How many of you, you, you do that? I'm like this. You hope something's going to happen, but you kind of guard yourself against that. So you kind of put all these like caveats in there, right? Well, I, th- I think it's going to happen if, you know, if we can do this and if we can do that and we can do this. You know. You're kind of guarding yourself. You're half-hearted. Okay, we'll do this, but if that doesn't work, I have plan B. No, it's saying that's not allowed. You're not allowed to say, okay, I'll hope in Christ, but if that doesn't work, at least I've got this. At least I've had a fulfilled life here. At least I've had fill in the blank, the thing that you long for. No, he says set your hope fully on the grace of God brought to you at Jesus Christ. Set your hope on, on this. 
Not on changed circumstances. Not on, well, I'm getting out of this circumstance, so life will be better. Maybe. Maybe not. That's not a for sure thing. What is a for sure thing? The grace of God brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ because it has been guaranteed by God the Father. Set your hope on this. How do you do that? These two, these two phrases show us how we do that. By preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Now, preparing your minds for action is a, it, it's a, it's a phrase used during that day to describe the idea of being ready to do something. It's, it's literally, the translation is girding up the loins of your mind. And, and what that, what that, the idea of that is, is you, maybe you remember in, uh, in the Passover, they have instructions to gird up their loins, to pull up their cloaks so they're ready to leave because of what God has said is going to happen. So I'm going to be ready for this. I'm going to do this. I think a, a, um, uh, for me, this might be better translated, roll up the sleeves of your mind. Maybe that's a better way to see it. Okay, it's time to get to work. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. All right, I'm ready for whatever it is I'm about to do. Whether that be eat or do some manual labor, I'm ready, right? They're, they're, I'm rolling up the sleeves of my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm prepared for work. I'm going to get these things out of my way that would prevent me from setting my hope on God. I'm going to be ready for this. This should call to mind the passage for us in, um, in Luke, Luke 12, 35 through 38. It says, stay dressed for action. Stay dressed for action. Or let your loins stay girded is the literal translation there. Stay dressed for action. Keep your sleeves rolled up and keep your lamps burning. And be like the men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are the servants who the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. We have this idea of, of when Christ returns, this preparedness for the master returning. And when he returns, he wants his servants awake. Now, there's no doubt that the Christian life is hard and wears you out. And there may be times that you want to become drowsy in the Christian life and sleep. But here, Peter is saying, because we have such a great grace, prepare your minds. Keep yourself from becoming drowsy and sleepy in the Christian walk. Gird up your, your mind so that it is thinking clearly. How, I find it interesting here in, the, in our culture so much is based on emotion, right? We, we, everything in our culture is based on emotion. Love is emotion. Well, to quote an old DC talk, love is a verb. That means it's an action. There, there's, no, there's not, it's, it's, a, it's going in a direction. 
It, there's an action, but we want to make it an emotion. Hope is an action, but we want to make it an emotion. So many things we want to make emotions. This is how I feel. Hollywood's ruined us in that way. This is how I feel about these things. But notice what he says here. Set your hope on this thing, fully on, this, on Christ's return. Set your hope on that. How do you do that? By preparing your minds, by thinking. Think. The Christian life needs to be well thought out. It means I think deeply. I use my brain to think about what God's word says. I study it. That's not just for nerds. That's for everybody. Everybody dives deep into God's word and seeks to understand it. I study it. I, I think about it. Not only that, be sober-minded. Might be translated, be level-headed in your thinking. Once again, correcting the idea that it's not about your emotions. The Christian life, setting your hope is not about the emotion of, well, I'm going to follow Jesus. Which may wane when the, the troubles of the world come in and choke us out. No, this is the sober-mindedness, clear, level-headed thinking of the gospel. How am, how am I thinking about the work of Christ? How am I thinking about his atonement and how he, is, he has saved me from those things? How, am I, how are my thoughts prepared? Am I being clear-headed or am I being emotional with these things? Going back to the idea of I had my hope set on it. When you have your hope set on something... Now, maybe, you all, maybe some of you aren't quite to the level of nerdiness that I am. But when I have my hopes set on something, I study it. Now, I know there's got to be men in here. If you were going to go build something, most of you in here are not going to do it on the fly. Some of you, I'm getting eye rolls. But you, you want to think about, what am I going to do? What kind of lumber do I need? Uh, is this, is this, am I able to do this? You know, you think about these things. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm looking around thinking maybe I'm the only one that's like this. All right, so, but you, 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 you roll over these things in your mind. You have your hopes set on it. You, you contemplate these things. But not only that, you, you gauge your emotions by it. When you have your hopes set on something, what happens when that doesn't come to fruition? You're crushed. You can't imagine going forward. What, what? On the flip side, what happens when it does come to fruition? You're elated. You, you're rejoicing. Your emotions have been completely changed by this. He's calling us to level-headed thinking, to think something much more secure than a hope set on the earthly things. How are your minds prepared for action? How have you studied to show yourself approved? How have you thought through the Word of God? How are you preventing yourself from mere emotionalism in the Christian life to clear-headed thinking about the gospel and what it calls me to do? But this, this gospel doesn't just impact those things. It also impacts the way we live. And, and, and I spent a lot of time on that. I probably, I, I'm overdoing it here. But So verse 14, it says, As obedient children, as obedient children, living obediently, as obedient children, Obedience is the defining characteristic. As obedient children, it's defining them. Obedient children. Now, what other kind of children are there? Well, there's the sons of disobedience. Who are the sons of disobedience in the Bible? Those are the children of the devil. 
and Ephesians. That's what they're called. So there's children of disobedience, and there's children of obedience. There's only two kinds of children. We are one of them. Here he's saying, if you have experienced the grace of God, you are a child of obedience. That is a defining characteristic of who you are. I want to obey the things of God. That means that it changes us. It changes us from people who don't desire the things of God to people who want the things of God. So as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now this is Peter's way of doing what Paul does elsewhere, of saying, put off this, put on this. He's saying, as obedient children, don't be conformed or molded to the passions of your former ignorance. When were you ignorant? This is not like insulting you. This is, this is using the term ignorance in its strictest definition. Ignorance means unknowledgeable. When were you ignorant? Well, before I knew Christ. I was ignorant of the truth. I did not know the truth. So, Put away the passions of your former ignorance. Put off those things. We are, we are no longer called to be this. So he states it negatively. Put off the pattern, the, the mold of this world. Today, so often we want to hear people talk about, well, I'm free to do whatever I want. No, none of us are free. We're either bound by sin or bound by Christ. And here he's saying, put off the mold. Put off the, the conformity you once had. The conformity to sin that you once had, in which I was molded by the heart of sin that I had. My life was shaped by what I wanted. Put that off. And so that's the negative side. But what's the positive side? Put on then, Peter calls them, to put on holiness. Now who here would like to say, I'm holy? Anybody holy in here? No one? No one holy? Well, in reality, all of us are holy. In God's reality, and, and the ultimate thing, when, when God looks at us through the blood of Christ, He has declared us righteous. We are declared righteous. Now, in our lives, has that worked itself out yet? Well, not fully. We still have a lot of work to do, right? So He's saying, live up to what you've been called to. Now, every other religion in the world is going to say, live up to this, do this, and then God will accept you. But what does Jesus say? You're accepted, and now I want to live up to that. You are a child of God, now I want to live like a child of God. He's calling you to be holy as he who called you is holy. He's calling us to look like our Father. He's calling us to be conformed no longer to the world, but to God. Paul says in Corinthians that we are transformed as we see Christ, as we see Him revealed. We are being transformed further and further into His likeness. He wants us to be conformed, to be transformed into looking like our Father. How? In all of our conduct. 
That means as believers, we can't say, well, look, I'm tithing more. I'm going to church more. I'm, I, I, I stopped cussing. But, but you know what? I want to keep a hold of this sin. So I'll do all of these things, but I'm going to hold on to this one. I want to keep my anger. I want to keep my bitterness. I want to keep my laziness or my apathy. I want to keep those things. I'll do all these other things, but I want to keep this. He says, no, be holy in all of your conduct like your Father in heaven is holy. And then he takes them back to the commission of God to Israel and says, for it has been said, you shall be holy for I am holy. Our lives have to be different. It has to be different. Let me explain it to you this way. If I were to come to you and say, you know what, I built a house. I've been studying you, I've been asking you questions, and I built a house specifically for you. I've designed it the exact way you like to eat your coffee, drink your coffee in the morning or don't like to drink your coffee in the morning. Uh, um, I, I, I've designed it around everything that is, in, that is particular to your family. I've built it. Here you go. All of us would be like, that is amazing, right? All of us would be excited by this new house that has been designed specifically for me and the way I live life. You would be thrilled by that. But... What if you never lived in it? If you never took, took occupancy in that house, would you truly appreciate it? No, it's as you get up in the morning and you go to get your cup of coffee and you're like, they picked out the perfect coffee pot. <laughs> and you go and you're like, but I'm left-handed in the dishwashers on the left side of the sink. It's as you go and you see, they truly thought about who I was. They truly thought about what I needed. They designed this for me. You and I have the grace of God that has been for us. But until you experience it, you will not truly appreciate all that Christ has done on our behalf that would transform our lives. God has thought about who we are and how it might transform us. So how do we apply this? How do we apply this? Well, first of all, how many of you have uh, heard the phrase, the more you know, the more you're accountable for? That was always used as an excuse. Um, when, when I worked at UPS, it was an excuse for not, doing, not wanting to learn something. Well, I don't want to, the more you know, the more you're accountable for. I don't want to learn that. Then I'm going to have to do it. But for the believer... The more we know, the more we're blessed with. The more we know, the more we, we get to experience. In Matthew 13, 16 through 17, it says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. We have been blessed in the hearing of God's grace. But hear these words from Luke. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, that's Jesus, Jesus began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it 
except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than those things is here. And that's the grace of God. And these who repented with lesser truth, with, with not lesser in the sense of value, but a, a lesser understanding of what God was doing, those who repented with a, a lesser understanding of what God's doing, will, it will be a greater judgment for us because we know God has revealed to us what's going on. We must know Him. We must seek to understand and apply Him. That's why we have to set our brains. Now, this doesn't happen naturally. This is more than being clear-minded. Today we want everyone to be clear-headed, right? We want them to be clear-minded. That's why we, we meditate and hum and, and do yoga and everything else. Um, no, that's the, that's the culture that we live in. He wants more than clear-headedness. He wants us to be reprogrammed. He wants us to think differently, to set our brains to a different channel, to be going in a different direction diligently setting our minds to think upon the things of God. Set our brains to think on these things. And he wants us to mold our life. Christian living must have an outcome of evangelism. That is true. But it doesn't start with evangelism. That's not where the Christian life starts. The Christian life starts with me and my holiness, seeking to live out the things of God. Seeking to be different. That's our, that's our starting point this morning. So as, as you hear these things, acknowledge the blessings you've been given in Christ. Set your brain to think about them this week and begin molding your life to reflect them. Let me pray for us.